about the A-League, Premier League and more. This week's episode of More Than A Game is sponsored by the Ladies League. The Ladies League are a group of passionate female football supporters who, like us, love football in Australia. They have contributors all around the country with one eye on their local W League and A-League teams and another on the Matildas and Socceroos. They're knowledgeable and entertaining and we recommend you check them out if you're searching for more great Australian football content. This week on More Than A Game... Watford board consider sacking Hayden Mullins for getting the team relegated to the championship. Everyone forgets overnight that Bournemouth exist as they too slip into relegation oblivion. Aston Villa assistant John Terry uh, considers wearing full kit to post-game celebrations as Villa managed to avoid the drop. And finally, for the Sydney. Uh, Sydney secure a fourth premiership title as in the A-League as the A-League restart continues amongst F3 and Melbourne derbies. Joining me on the pod this week is Jesse. Uh, Jesse, mate, how have uh, have you stopped celebrating the the Liverpool title yet, mate? I was just trying to sober up, and then you said you're going to have a beer for the pod, and and uh, ended up going to get myself another beer. So you really twisted my arm there. <laughs> yeah, mate. Look, just glad to hear that you're having a froth on a Monday night. Um, <laughs> also, uh, also joining me is uh, Damo completing our panel for the week, uh, mate. How's the erratic sleep patterns holding up for you? Yeah, it's uh, it's been great for for the football, but uh, now that this Premier League season's over, it's it's probably not going to be as not looking forward to it's, it as it's much. It's not going to be great for like a seven pm kickoff on like a a, a weeknight, huh? Exactly. <laughs> it's way after your bedtime. <laughs> Alrighty, boys. Uh, what's what's caught your eye, uh, Jesse? Well, I think just the um, the Premier League getting completed. Tommy, I mean that's that's a moment of the week for me. I mean, we we all sort of worried, wondered if this was going to happen. Um, you and me both had uh, tickets booked to go and see um, some of the closing rounds. Um, I was going to be at the Newcastle Liverpool game, and I think you were going to be at the Villa game from memory. Um, so, oh yeah, I know, would have been, yeah, se- yeah. So this season just looked like it was never going to end. Um, you know, but there was a point there, obviously, where we were all worried if it was ever going to be completed. So the fact that it was completed is is my moment of the week. Also, a couple of special mentions to Liverpool and Chelsea turning on a barnstormer of a game. Uh, it must have been pretty entertaining for a neutral. And, and also the A-League Simpsons thread. Uh, listeners, if you haven't hopped onto the <laughs> More Than A Game page, Tommy's uh, worked a bit of magic there with the A-League Simpsons characters. For the, for the listeners at home, I'm blushing right now. oh very good Damo what about you mate what's caught your eye this week Uh, I had a couple Uh, it didn't necessarily happen this week but the news story came out this week that Thomas Suchek I think it's pronounced Tommy Mm -hmm. uh, his so his childhood club that he came up and played through at playing the fourth division in Czech Republic and they received a 10% sell-on fee of what West Ham just paid Mm -hmm. for him which they've announced covers 10 years of club's expenditure. So it's something like that highlights how important uh, transfers are and, and an internal transfer system in Australia could be for clubs like that. Do you think that. they pay by credit charge or do they, do they write them a sue check? 
<laughs> We're in on it early. <laughs> oh dear. Alrighty, boys. Uh, for me this week, uh, look, I really loved Ellie Carpenter winning a third straight uh, WLE Young Footballer of the Year award. Um, it's it's pretty ridiculous to to think that she's already won three of them, and she's as we've covered already on the pod previously. She's she's off on to, to bigger and better things with Leon in in France as well. So it's going to be exciting to watch her continued development. But uh, the other moment of the week that I had was. Um, the, the Russian Cup. Um, I'm sure you guys and probably a lot of the listeners have seen this clip and it's, it's so much better for having seen it because I can't do it justice by trying to explain what happened. But um, for for those, uh, just, just to recap though, um, the the uh, Zenit St. Petersburg won the, the Russian Cup during the week and uh, whilst uh, whilst they were celebrating, yep, this, uh, I'm, I'm led to believe it's not glass, it was, it was crystal, um, the, the trophy. Someone's, uh, Branislav Ivanovic is holding it aloft and celebrating and everyone's getting pretty rowdy and then, whoops-a-daisy, there goes the trophy on and it hits the deck. Um, luckily, it was, um, it, it's hit the ground rather than like concrete or, or something like that and inevitably though, it's it's hit the deck and it's, and it's broken. So yeah, they, they've been uh, um, holders of the trophy, so to speak, for, for roughly about probably two minutes and they already broke the thing. I said, who gets tasked with having to glue it back together? Yeah. <laughs> in in Russia, probably they just make a new one, don't they? <laughs> I was just thinking that the toughest thing for this would be if they actually took it on a bus tour. I mean, you know, imagine planning to take it around the city and show it to all the fans, but it doesn't even get out of the stadium. <laughs> well, that's, that's it. Didn't, didn't this happen a couple of years ago? I, I think it was um, was Sergio Ramos that dropped the Champions League trophy a couple of years ago. Uh, I dropped the, bus, the Copa del Rey off the top oh, of the bus. Man. That's right. I knew it was Sergio Ramos, but still. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. That was great. Right. But there was no video, video footage of it, whereas this had video footage, which made it so much better. Um, Alrighty, boys. What, what didn't you like this week, though? Damo, you want to go first? Um, yeah, my, my own goal... Is... There's plenty of things this week, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, or we can talk about it now. Is Birmingham City <laughs> uh, retiring a number for and a jersey for a 17 year old kid who played 40 games for the club? Um, I, I just we we were talking about it during the week in a group chat. It just makes zero sense to me. I'm not a fan of retiring numbers or jerseys as is, but let alone for someone who's literally just started their career. Jesse, was this your own goal as well this week? Because this was going to be mine. Hey, Jude, take a number and make it better. You know, that's basically what they've done. <laughs> and to be honest, you know, it's I'm thinking about, you know, does he deserve a knighthood now? Or, you know, what, what happens next? Should we be referring to him as Sir Jude? I mean, because, you know, at this point, it's like if you look at the gradient of his career, it's, it's absolutely spiked. And he's, you know, he's only just left the club and he's basically a messy. You know, it's like you can't just retire a jersey for somebody who's how many? I mean, did he even complete a full season there? Or was he there for part of the season? Yeah, no, he, he started halfway through last season, ah, okay. so I think he in totally played forty-two league games or something, which is a season and a half. I thought somebody, which was is, I mean, it's incredible for a seventeen-year-old, but yeah, I thought someone was trolling me when no, I first heard it, about this. Uh, it really does feel like a meme. Yeah, it does. I actually feel for him a little bit because, I mean, this guy's going to rock up at Dortmund and think his shit doesn't stink. And uh, I actually don't think it actually sets him up for success. I think, um, if anything, this this might set him back a little bit and he might take sort of, um, 
he might t- have a few setbacks now. Like uh, initially at Dortmund, once uh, he sort of his head sort of gets back into alignment with like what a, a normal seventeen-year-old is expected. Um, <laughs> I think just I think, at Dortmund. I, think, I think just living in Germany will sort that out for him, Tommy. If somebody uh, wants to speak their mind, I'm sure they will. <laughs> True that. What um I think um what really rammed home I guess the the stupidity of of this was every time I heard about a transfer or someone retiring in the aftermath of this over the last couple of days, my mind has instantly gone to oh, I wonder if they're going to retire his jersey <laughs> jersey number, and oh, I mean like maybe that's partially just how um how stupid my my mind is, but it also I think speaks volumes about this as well. It's just oh, so stupid. Jesse, what about you, mate? What what didn't you like this week? Um, well, we'll get on to it. Um, but um, I have to say, in a nutshell, it has to be Leicester um, just completely capitulating over the course of the second half of the season. I mean, we could say since lockdown, but I think I think people that say since lockdown are conveniently forgetting a couple of those first months of the year where Leicester were at that point still shooting the bed as well. Um, I feel like they never really recovered from that um, hammering from Liverpool just before just after Christmas. Um, they just they haven't looked the same. Vardy lost his golden touch, and um, I mean he still won golden boot because of all the amazing stuff he did before Christmas, which is uh, incredible. But um, yeah, I just think that Leicester, you'd be gutted if you were a Leicester fan and you finished fifth after that season. Like really, like they could have made some amazing signings based on the Champions League allure, and now they're out. So I, I think that's my own goal. Yeah. And so, I mean, Brendan Rodgers throughout the... I mean, we could touch upon this a little bit later, but let, let's let's unpack it a little bit now. I mean, you had um, Brendan Rodgers uh, in the last 24 hours has said that um, they weren't actually aiming for Champions League this year. They were aiming for, for top six, and they've achieved that. And um, I guess it's a bit like sort of Sheffield United in a way, how like they were just aiming to stay up, and the fact that they finished top half was like wildly exceeded their their hopes but um they still were probably a little bit disappointed in the end um but to to put i guess this into a little bit more perspective um since leicester beat uh southampton what is it nine nil back in i think it was october um southampton have actually scored more points or uh, accumulated more points uh 44 to leicester's 42 in that time period wow that doesn't show I know, right? Like that—that that gives you an indication of how far Leicester have dropped off. And I mean, by taking take nothing away from uh, Southampton, though, like they've actually been quite good in the same time period. But it shows you how far um, off the pace Leicester have dropped. So, um, yeah, look, um, for me, uh, for me this week, what I didn't like was I have to say I feel really sorry for Nottingham Forest fans after they completely bottled it on the final day of the um, of the of the championship. Um, unpack it a little bit later when we get into 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 championship chat. Um, we unpack that final day and and all the badness that ensued uh, from that day. But um, yeah, I just feel really bad for the for their fans. I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Forest after uh, after. Um, taking on their management duties in Football Manager a couple of years ago, um, but it's uh, yeah, I just I feel really bad for them, and 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 they should have really been in the um, the playoff uh, playoff finals this year, but alas, it's not to be, and and Swansea ended up doing a bit of a number on them. So um, moving on, we'll um, we'll crack on into the Premier League now. Thompson with the throw. Turn again by Davis. It's John McGinn finding Grealish. 
Grealish! Oh, wow! Wow! Stunning! Scintillating! And surviving! Aston Villa's captain leaves his club a legacy. It's Jack Grealish's goal that will cement Aston Villa's Premier League status. What a goal that is. What a strike. Villa, five minutes away from staying up. So, of course, last night we had Super Sunday with 10 simultaneous matches being played to decide the third and fourth place champion and also the 17th place champion. Um, but we need some context for, for how we got to this point. Um, Jesse, would you mind walking us through game week 37 from midweek? Yeah, it, was, it, was a, it all seems like a long, long, long time ago now. Um, but uh, you had Norwich and Burnley where Wood scored and, and Burnley got the points there 2-0. You had Bournemouth, Southampton, Ings scoring. Um, you'll probably remember from that game, uh, it was a 2-0 win, away win for Southampton in the end, but you'll probably remember that Bournemouth had that equaliser um, scrubbed out by VAR. Um, before Adams went down the other end and scored. So that was pretty heartbreaking for Bournemouth. And if you look at the context of the recent fixtures in the final day, it, it probably, you know, it will be talked about in the weeks to come by Bournemouth, I'm sure. But um, uh, apart from that, you had Tottenham Leicester 3-0 with Kane with a double. Um, so that Leicester, um, yeah, convincingly beaten in that game. A goalless draw with um, Brighton and Newcastle. Uh, you had Damo's shoe. Um, play against uh, Everton um, Richarlison <laughs> with the winner but I think it was a pretty tight tight game that one um, I, I always like Wolves Crystal Palace because uh, if you reverse it from Wall Cry to Cry Wolf I always think about you know the boy who cried wolf when I look at that fixture um, <laughs> but that was um, a good win for Wolves again and, and it, hard hitting analysis here on, it, yeah, on we really hit the hard parts here um, <laughs> I, I have to say in that game I was ex- ex- expecting um, a Wolves win and I actually think that um, yeah we'll talk about the Chelsea game in a second but I think uh, the Wolves are re- looking really good after that fixture um, yeah Man City absolutely ripped Watford to pieces 4-0 we all know about the Villa result against Arsenal 1-0 with that crucial Trezeguet uh, goal, which you know now is even more crucial. Um, and then I was looking at your your game with West Ham versus uh, Man United, um, and we'll probably talk about that in a second, Tommy. But um, one of the things that stood out for me in that game was just how quick Greenwood's feet are when he gets the ball out from beneath him. He's just lightning quick when he finishes. So I think another glimpse into the future there for Man United. And then finally it was rounded off by the Liverpool Chelsea game, which as I mentioned before was absolutely mad. And I you'd be hard pressed to pick a bad goal in that game. I guess Giroud's tapping was probably the only average goal in that game and the rest of them were just screamers. <laughs> yep, no thanks for the the roundup, Jesse. Um so uh, with one final round to go, there were four really tasty games to be played, three involving relegation teams, and one basically as a playoff for fourth or fifth position. Um, first up, a struggling Leicester City hosted um, Manchester United in the playoff for fourth, fifth um, spot. Uh, a draw would have seen both teams qualify for the Champions League only if Chelsea lost at home to Wolves. So both teams were keen for the win. Leicester were missing key players Son Yun Su, James Madison, Ben Chilwell, and Hikata Pereira uh, to suspension and injury, respectively, and were always expected to struggle against an informed Man United side. Ultimately, uh, Leicester huffed and puffed, but it took until the 71st minute for United's talisman Bruno Fernandes to score, uh, sorry, to break the deadline, deadlock through uh, a penalty won through a foul on Anthony Martial. Was, um this was the game on goal rush, but it seemed to be, honestly, the most boring match of the evening, um, didn't it? 
cagey. Yeah, I, I mean, I did have this game on, but it felt like I was waiting. I know, and I was sitting by my phone and looking at the live scores of other games, and it just felt like I was waiting to see the highlights of other games pop up during this game. It was that kind of game. You feel robbed, don't you? Because you, you think you're thinking I've got so many games to choose from here on the final day, and I choose this one, and it's it's garbage. It's um, you feel like you're robbed of um some great moments but i i have to say um again this is where i was frustrated with leicester because it just just to switch off was i think it was chowdhury um you know obviously they all, all contest the penalty but they should never have put themselves in that position in the first place and as you mentioned before it was so late in the game that they they kept it a contest all the way till then and then obviously it was michael at the end like uh just <laughs> the sight of Lingard getting the tap in with about a minute to go it's just oh, it'll, it'll live on in infamy yeah and, and that's a good point I mean just just prior to that um, to that final goal Schmeichel had gone up for a late corner a uh, late corner and so it was probably if anything Schmeichel was probably a bit tired from having to run back to his own penalty spot before um, he then had to sort of take a touch and, and Lingard just nicked the ball off of him and yeah just put it into an empty net um, boys, how crucial do you think the absentees were for, for Leicester? I don't, I don't want to put it down to just having absentees because I think you know we're talking about before Leicester's form has been terrible coming in, coming into this game. Uh, I think they've won two out of their last ten games leading into this game against Man United. So, just having a couple of absentees wasn't the problem. The problem was something far bigger than that. Mm, interesting. Um, boys, is there, do you think there's been a team that's had worse form since the restart than Leicester? Oh, um, I think that there'd be... I, th- I was thinking about this earlier because there was another team that was in my mind. Um, I'm sure I'll think about them in a second. But with Leicester, I think it's more the fact that they were amongst the title race earlier in the season. So that's what makes this so perplexing is that they were so far ahead in United. Weren't they like 13 points or something ahead of United? So yeah, well, I th- I think there are only three or four points off Liverpool on Christmas Day in second place. Yeah. So you put so, it in perspective there. That's how poor they were in the second half of the season. Yeah. So I've got a got a stat for you guys. Um, at the um back in January, Leicester were fourteen points ahead of Man United with plus twenty goal difference, and they finished four points behind them and minus four goal difference. That's depressing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and like we said before, like I think Leicester fans would be really disappointed with how sort of the second half of the season has panned out. Mm. So um, finally from uh, at poor Tharkay on Twitter, um, do you think Man United can get the likes of Sancho now that they've qualified for the Champions League? And, and is Ole the man to take them forward beyond this season? I don't know if Sancho is the name that they'll get, but being back in the Champions League... You know, Man United has sway to bring big players in regardless of whether in the Champions League or not. But being back in it just gives them that extra edge. And if there's any club in the world that's going to be able to pry Sancho away from Dortmund right now, it'll be Man United. Do, do you think Man United are actually best placed uh, or better placed than some of the, the, the poorer teams um, or less rich teams um, to be able to take advantage of, of this particular transfer window? I think it's weird because like, it's it's interesting because I think previously I used to assume that players would go to clubs that they were fans of more than other clubs. So they might be like, I'm not going to play for Liverpool. I'd rather play for Man United. I know that uh, there's a lot of Portuguese players, Bruno um, 
included, which I think if it was a make or break, they would go with the club that they preferred to support. And I think he supported Man United. So there's th- that's what I assumed would happen mm. a lot. But you look at it now and you look at sort of the Werner transfer. And actually what it comes down to more so now is if the, t- if the player doesn't really care too much about the club's history, it's just about the, the, the minutes they're going to get and what role they're going to play. And... Um, Liverpool, while they're on top and they're, they're winning these games and trophies, they, they don't exactly have a lot of room in the starting lineup at the moment. So I think that you look at teams like Manchester United, and if you've got positions there, I look at their um, left fullback position um, and maybe a midfield spot. There's, mo- there's, there's spots there which, you know, if you get a good signing, they're going to come in and they're probably going to walk into the starting side. And so that's appealing to people and uh, players in Europe, I think. It's, it's the game time that seems to take precedence over everything else. Even if you're, uh, even if you're a top player, going to Man United doesn't mean anything if you're not playing, right? Mm. All right. So, um, in uh, in the other matches, uh, Lister and Man United's role for the other championship uh, Champions League spot was Chelsea, who defeated Wolves two nil. Uh, their victory saw them lock down the the fourth spot and Champions League football for next season. Uh, a, a pretty good result for for Lampard's Chelsea. Um, while Chelsea take fourth spot, Wolves also finish in seventh spot, curiously below Jose's Spurs. Boys, do you think um, Wolves are now confirmed as the best of the rest, or is this Leicester's title, or do we do we still call it the Everton Trophy? Yeah, oh, definitely not the Everton Trophy anymore. Everton are struggling to make the top <laughs> half in the best of seasons. You know what, um, you know what Tommy? Like the, the, the thing is with this is that we used to talk about West Brom and the mid-table, right? Like Everton solidly in the mid-table. But that's all been completely skewed because there's a stat going around, and you'll have to confirm if this is actually right. But I think um, isn't didn't Manchester United weren't they closer in, on points to the relegation than they were to Liverpool's total points tally this year? And if that's the case, that really puts in perspective the dif- the, the distance between first and second and the rest of the the teams. So they were like that. So they were. Yeah. Th- there were 32 points from uh, Bournemouth, who finished 18th, and 33 points from Liverpool in first. See, that's insane. So that really puts into perspective. It's like, what is that's mid-table? Wild. What is mid-table now? <laughs> well, mid-table is pretty much almost second and onwards, isn't it? <laughs> I think, to answer your question, though, Tommy, I think Wolves and Everton and Leicester would be those teams now because they're just... In those European spot, uh, European Europa League spots, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, meanwhile, uh, Aston Villa, Watford, and Bournemouth were all within uh, a shout of escaping relegation. Villa were in the hot seat outside of the relegation zone, knowing that a victory at the London Stadium against David Moyes' West Ham would be enough to secure safety, regardless of results elsewhere. This was a pretty cagey one with Grealish and Antonio both going close a few times in the first half, but ultimately not that many clear-cut chances were created for either side. With West Ham's informed striker Michele Antonio removed at half-time, it was down to Grealish to create something to separate the two sides. Naturally, it was none other than Villa's captain and talisman Jack Grealish who broke the deadlock with a smart finish past Fabianski on 84 minutes. Um, the Villa fans and uh, and and the players obviously were were pretty pumped at this, but the celebrations didn't last long. With Yarmolenko's deflected effort meant that it was one-one with it been under ten minutes to play. Uh, understandably, Villa were pretty nervy in the final ten minutes, uh, with a point uh, being enough for Villa uh, to stay up should a results uh, elsewhere go their way. 
Jesse, um, you followed the the events at Goodison Park though, um, uh, involving our relegation candidates Bournemouth. Uh, how did that pan out? Yeah, well, they um they actually put in a decent performance. Um, they they had a, a handball with Charlison, um, where they got a penalty from I think it was Josh King who scored. But then uh, Everton replied. Keane had a tap in at the uh, far post, and things were looking a bit dicey again for them. But um, really, um, you look at the what happened after that, and, and Pickford with some pretty poor goalkeeping um, to let in Stanislas's goal, and uh, from there uh, Bournemouth went on to win and really did everything they they could. Um, but it's it's a really sorry finish to a season for them. I mean, I think I saw a stat floating around that they lost twenty two games, and um, if you lose 20, oh, if you lose twenty two games um, in a Premier League season, do you really deserve to stay up? I think that's you know the proof is in the pudding. Um, so the big question with them, and I suppose we'll get onto that um, later, is what's next for Eddie Howe and what's next for the players? Because I think I saw a meme flying around which was just like other Premier League. I think I think you actually um, liked it on Twitter, um, Tommy, which is just like a a, a, a <laughs> thing of bread, like a, a a container full of bread, and just monkeys jumping in, just ripping all the bread out, and it's basically just like people waiting for the <laughs> people waiting for the Bournemouth team to go down to take all the players. And I thought, oh, that's pretty harsh, but that's really, I mean, Watford will have the same problems. Um, I I think. Uh, in fact, all of the three relegated teams, I think, are in for a, a real trouble when it comes to the transfer window, which I think is is officially open. Mm. Um, but Damo, please, please uh, give us a bit of a, a rundown on the Arsenal Watford game and how that went, and then we'll then we'll unpack, I guess, the the relegation battle and how that's all sort of panned out in the last twenty four hours. Yeah, well, look, in in the end, as it played out, a win for Watford would have been enough to keep them up um, on the day, mm. but you know it was always going to be a tough ask against Arsenal, who are finding a little bit of form recently. Obviously, they're in the FA Cup final and they beat Liverpool and City within a week, just a couple of weeks ago. And so it was always going to be a tough task. But, I mean, Watford shot themselves in the foot within five minutes. Um, I think it was Craig Dawson fouled Lacazette in the area and gave away a penalty. You know, when, when you need to win a game desperately and stupid fouls like that, it's sloppy defending... That's the reason Watford are going down is, is mistakes like that. Just too many of them, too often. Um, and again, you know, it was only 20 minutes later, Watford's back four fell asleep. I don't know where the fullback was, um, but Aubameyang and Tierney looked like they were standing by themselves. Um, obviously, Tierney, Tierney <laughs> put the ball away in what it seemed like a, a cross-come shot, to be honest, Tierney's goal. Um, his first <laughs> Arsenal goal, actually, as well. <laughs> oh, we love a cross come shot here on M Tag. <laughs> That's right. We and do. then the highlight of the game for me, though, was Arsenal's third goal. Um, again, poor defending from Watford. It was a long throw that kind of bobbled around in the box, but Aubameyang kind of took his touch into the ground, and then an overhead kick from there it was it was a pretty spectacular goal. Um, I, I saw it's like some of the. Um some of the Watford defenders getting absolutely panned on, on Twitter as I was watching the game about that. And I thought, that's, that's a bit harsh. Like, I mean, he's, he's done something pretty pretty incredible, pretty acrobatic there. Yeah, but I felt like there was... Whoever it was, I think it might have been Dawson again who was behind him, who Aubameyang was backing into. And then there was another defender who kind of stood there and watched. The ball came in. Mm. He took a touch into the ground and it bounced up. And no Watford player attacked the ball. They all just kind of stood there. And the goalkeeper could have even come for that. You know, it was... It, in the end, like you said, it, it was a great finish. 
It's covered in lava. Um, they didn't want to touch him. <laughs> the um, yeah, didn't want to give away another s- penalty. Yeah, that's right. They were so spooked by that. I was going to say um, there were some comments from Hayden Mullins. I think he was the the coach or the interim coach, um, where he basically was saying that he trusts the the club, trusts the board, trusts the process, and that and the sort of lead up to the game. And I was like, oh, well. He kind of was. It was almost like he was trying to reassure the fans or the Watford fans that they sort of they had this, they were in control. And I'm like, mate, you're going away to Arsenal on the final day, and you need a win to stay up. I mean, I don't think you have this. And um, yeah, really, it's just kind I of. I think he might have been trying to convince himself, mate. Yeah, it, there's really <laughs> there was really a sense of borderline sort of being delusional uh, that was coming across in the interview, and I felt a little bit sorry for the club in that regard because I'm sure there are a lot of fans who don't approve of the ownership of that club and how it's been run but unfortunately it's in the in the wrong hands apparently mm. yeah and i think everyone's been pretty scathing of watford's board and how they've sort of handled um like the the managerial uh, sort of merry-go-round over the last couple of months and i don't think a lot of a lot of fans a lot of neutrals feel a lot of sympathy for for watford um and how things just sort of panned out um, but look, boys, with uh, with Villa securing a point, Watford losing, and Bournemouth really needing point, uh, sorry, um, results to go their way elsewhere, it meant that Villa finished outside of the bottom three and and stayed up. Um, do you think the the right teams are going down? Yeah, in my opinion, I think. Well, I, actually, I think Villa kind of got away with one um, in the end, mm. but Villa being the club they are of those clubs they are the most Premier League-esque club of those there four at the bottom. You know, they've got a big supporter base, a great history in the Premier League. Um, of the, of those four clubs, they probably are the Premier League side of them, but I think they got away with staying up here. I agree. I think I, I'm actually amazed. Yeah. I'm amazed that Watford dropped as, as far as they did. There was, a, there was a moment a week or two ago they looked like they'd sort of escaped the worst of it and... I'm just amazed that, um, I mean, because you look at Watford and they've actually been a, a bit of a mid-table club because they've managed to find um, ways to recruit pretty well. They've actually, they've had a few, um, they've spent a bit of money. Um, I know that they've been pretty shit with their managers, but they've been, they've sort of got away with it until now. Um, I'm actually surprised that they were relegated. I looked at the way Villa was since the turn of the year and Villa always looked like they had... Um, a defensive lapse in them and but they looked like they were just beaten about a month ago they looked like they couldn't score a goal and they just looked like they had no fight left in them and I was amazed that they stayed up I, I think that they showed fight right at the end when Watford kind of capitulated so yeah I agree with Damo I mean what if Watford had got a better result then Villa would be going down today so and I mean we, you know talk about Villa they they beat Arsenal in the second last game of the season which was a shock result and then they got a, a point against an informed West Ham on the final day to stay up. But I think we had a comment on Twitter, and, and it's a soft spot for me, is Villa would have been relegated if it wasn't for the whole uh, VAR slash uh, Hawkeye right. incident against Sheffield United that, that got them the point that eventually kept them up. Voted one of the top 20 moments of the season by BBC Sport. Back to you, Tommy. <laughs> Was uh, Damo? You you would remember how there was a, a court challenge by Sheffield United against uh, against West Ham for Sheffield United going down all those years ago. Um, do you think that there could be a, a court challenge on on um, 
on the Premier League's hands or, or possibly Sheffield United's hands or the VAR operator's hands. It was, it was, it was or... funny. A, f- a friend of mine actually in jest said that Bournemouth should sue the Premier League and should or should sue Hawkeye for some sort of compensation as, you know, if that point wasn't awarded to West, if that goal wasn't awarded to West Ham in that subsequent point, then Bournemouth would still be in the Premier League. And there's there's a case to argue that, you know, through a court of law, they, they could be deemed worthy of some sort of compensation. But I guess we'll have to see. Well, that's it. And I guess um, it would depend as well on, on whether sort of Villa um, acknowledge any any sort of like, not, not quite fault, but like... Um famously West Ham ended up settling with Sheffield United. I think it was like something in the region of 80 million pounds yep. or something crazy like that. And, but by that time, um, Sheffield United it, were already 10th in League One, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, it, you're right, it didn't. And it shows sort of how slowly sort of the courts can move at times. But uh, ultimately, it's going to be interesting to see probably in about 12 months' time to see if uh, Villa end up settling with... Um, um, with Bournemouth over the issue. Well, guys, Bournemouth being relegated is is a huge blow to them because obviously we we would talk, Eddie. You said before, um, Jesse. You said before about Eddie Howe and <laughs> and some of the players they've got there that are bona fide Premier League players that you know will be moving on. Um, they, they've just they've promised an an investment of a brand new stadium which is going to hold you know twenty five thousand people, which is a Premier League level stadium. Bournemouth were doing things and investing in things as though they expected to finish in the top half of the league this year. And being relegated is going to be a huge blow for a club like that. It's, it's a real spanner in the works. I think it might have been recently we were saying that um, uh, both um, both of these teams, Watford and Bournemouth, because they were sort of so comfortable in their Premier League status that they they really need to make sure that they either return back to the to the Premier League or at least are um, in the at least within the next two years are, are making a return back to the Premier League. Because if um, yeah, if those parachute payments run out, I think I think they go for three years, don't they? If if they run out, then um, yeah, they're, they're in big trouble, I think. Well, you're talking about Bournemouth and Watford are the two clubs that really need to come back. Ironically, it's probably going to be Norwich who are promoted before the two of them because it's just what they do. They go up and down. Yeah. Um, it's a good point on that, actually. Uh, so, uh, Narissa uh, from Twitter asks, um, Notford War- Norwich... Watford and Bournemouth were all promoted it, uh, to the Premier League in the 14-15 season and all have been relegated together too. What's the curse with these three teams? 2020's the curse. What a year, hey? <laughs> That's right. Somebody had to go down. And um, like I said, like you can, you can argue all you want about the disruptions of the season, but I actually think that so much of the damage for these relegation teams was done prior to the restart. I mean, we've sort of just been watching these games since the restart and thinking, you know, can they do an upset or not? But, geez, there was some poor form by Bournemouth. And like I said before, you can't lose 22 games in a season and be like, yep, we're going to be going to be safe. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Or that they deserve to still uh, be in the, in the same uh, division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, boys, we've sort of alluded to it a little bit already um, about how some of these squads are going to be picked out over the over the summer transfer window. Um, MTAG uh, regular Colby asks, who is most likely to move on from Bournemouth and Watford uh, in the relegation fire sales? Well, like to be honest, I, I would love to see David Brooks go back to Sheffield United. Um, I think... There would be some real savvy well, business. Well, I think Bournemouth paid... Fit. 
I think it it was originally fifteen million that turned into seventeen and a half or eighteen million on some some contractual circumstances. But if if he was to be sold, it'd be for less than that, and he'd be walking straight back into a team that is exactly the same players that he played with when he left eighteen months ago. Um, it would it would be a brilliant piece of business by Sheffield United, and I'd love to see it happen. Um, you got a, a few few big players though, a few big names, the likes of Ake, Callum Wilson, Josh King, mm. Kapuwe, Decore, Ishmael Asar. So. Ishmael yeah, Asar. He's, yeah. he's one yeah. that I think will have to go on to another Premier League club. So he's got Southampton written all over him for me. Oh, why don't we just why don't we just cut the check now? And he doesn't have to go to Southampton first. He can come straight to Liverpool if he wants. <laughs> <laughs> just cut out the middleman, right? Because he's going to go from Southampton to Liverpool at some point. <laughs> Please, uh, what about the likes of Callum Wilson and Josh King? You got any ideas on where you think they might end up? Oof. I I feel like if they were going to go, they were going to go twelve months ago, and they're kind of value has very severely dropped since then because of the seasons they've had. Fair enough. I reckon Callum Wilson has got Everton written yeah. all over him. Yeah, I would have said Everton it's a good too. Mm. Even if Moisa King uh, Keane did um, did score overnight. If they did that, if they if, if they picked up a Callum Wilson, they could actually start playing a 4-3-3. Maybe Ancelotti could move away from a 4-4-2. He would never... <laughs> and then you've got uh, of course Kapuwe and, and Decore um, Andy Corpanidis' two boys um, look I've got to be honest I reckon either of those two players they could probably pretty comfortably do a do a job in a first 11 or, or at a minimum um, as a squad as, as a squad player for, for a lot of teams in the Premier League I think even the likes of um, Man United or Chelsea I think um, Kapua or Decore would would do pretty um, do do pretty comfortably there as squad player. Probably not playing forty games a year, but I think definitely playing twenty. And I think they would do pretty comfortably. Maybe there. your West Ham. Um, but yeah, I was thinking that. But you know, we just uh, just signed the the check, Sue check. So um, anyway, boys. Um, Elsewhere, there are a few other games that were played, some without much on the line. Um, Jesse, how did Spurs go with their visit to Palace? Well, it ended up on a draw. Um, 1-1 uh, came, had a tidy finish to open it, and it was cance- cancelled out by um, Schlup when he pounced in the in the box. I just just wanted an excuse to say his name. What a fantastic name. I love was. saying his name, right? <laughs> Schlup. Oh, yeah. Even if he didn't score, you were still going to Schlup. I was going to say, I was, was going to Schlup it in there whenever I could. Um yeah, I mean, Palace threatened to steal this at the death, um, but I mean, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a, a dead rubber, I guess. But I, I think Spurs will be pleased um, to this result. Inevitably, they, they they ended up going above above Wolves to finish the season. So I mean, little things like that will please um, uh, Jose because I suppose there was a lot of chat about if he's if he's making progress or not making progress and I think for him the difference between 6th or 7th or 5th and all that sort of stuff is quite important so I think he'll be still pleased they managed to get a point but it was a bit a bit indicative of Spurs' season to be honest and I guess Palace's where you know both teams have had opportunities to go on and win a game and sometimes they've just failed to have the end product to do so Yeah, it's fair enough. Do you think um, Spurs would be happy with with finishing in in seventh? I don't think overall they'll be happy with with finishing in seventh. But I think 
I think the stats say that since Mourinho took over, only Manchester City and Liverpool have scored more points than Spurs. So to look at it that way, it says think things are changing for Spurs for the better after uh, Pochettino left. Whether it feels like it or not, they've been more successful. Um, but overall, mm. I think seventh place Spurs fans wouldn't be happy with at all. It's not good enough. Hey, they, they still finished above Arsenal, Yeah, that's though. true. St. Totteringham's day, St. Totteringham's day was cancelled. That Spurs team beat Man City. You know, isn't it incredible to think that? It's wild. Um, Jesse, uh, were Liverpool on the tins uh, the night uh, before their visit to Newcastle? <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much guaranteed. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's been, a, it's been a bit of an up-and-down um, party celebration for the last few weeks. But I think... Uh, this was a good opportunity for a few players like Minamino and um, Ox got to start and a few of those players to get a good run and to finish the season. And I think Mane and Salah and that came off the bench later on in the game. But um, I have to admit, if you think they were on the tins, then that would certainly explain after 30 or 40 seconds, uh, you know, Shelby taking a quick free kick and Gale scores a goal within, I think, was it 40 seconds <laughs> or something? Like it was unbelievable. Um, <laughs> Jenny Wijnaldum was just being, you know, sportsman-like passing the ball to Shelby and Shelby just stabs him straight in the back, eh? Chips it over his head. Um, but <laughs> It was the old, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much, yeah. That's <laughs> definitely a Tommy C futsal play, eh? Somebody like rolls it to you and you just put it in the net. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know anything for the w but uh that that's where it sort of ended for newcastle i mean they uh, like a lot of teams they didn't have a lot to play for really they the job had been done for them but um and, and liverpool i guess you could say was the same but um at the end of the day that there's a lot of players there who were playing for um form and playing for spots for next season so minamino was hungry for that um uh, even origi who's probably going to be sold in the next few weeks um, we'll be happy to score a goal in that game just to keep his value up. So, I mean, really, it was a bit of a bit of a dead rubber like the Spurs game, but um, it was good to see Liverpool uh, finish with a win from my perspective. Um, is there any news on, on where Origi might be headed? To the Barbers? Actually, get, a, get a new trim? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he really just doesn't go. care at the moment, eh? Like, he just, yeah, he's gone for the peroxide uh, finish, which, uh, you know... Sergio Aguero must be just looking around going, boys, lads, why did it take you so long? Why did it take a global pandemic for you guys to hop on <laughs> the peroxide bleach bandwagon? I've been doing this for years. Yeah, Tell you what, um, though, that peroxide but, finish on his hair is probably the best finish he's had in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Maybe he's been hanging out with Aussie Malik. <laughs> That's right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't uh, know where he go, um, Tommy. I think he... Um, I don't know. I, I, he's not he's not the right fit for where Liverpool's going, but he's surely um, a long ball team would take him up because he's got a really he can he can bring the ball down really well when you you throw it forward to him. So fair enough. Um, Damo, you you would have had one eye on the on the blades during their visit to the South Coast, Jero. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's kind of indicative of the way Sheffield United have played in probably the last ten to fourteen days. It's bit lackluster, a bit underwhelming. Um, probably what everyone expected Sheffield United would have played from the outset of the season. And like I said last week, Chris Wilder was the first to tell you how disappointed he was and, and again said in a post-match press conference that, you know, his team looked like a bunch of championship and League One players out there. 
So he's he's clearly not happy, and um, I, and you know I'm sure we'll talk about it in the uh, Premier League review and preview of next season. But the, there's a lot of work that Sheffield United need to do in bringing some players in. Well, the the worst thing that um, Sheffield United players I think could do sort of come preseason next year is go, oh yeah, this this um, Premier League bag, yeah, we've got that. We've got yeah, that but look, I I think and we'll, we'll talk about it more, but I think Wilder is a manager that if a player has that kind of mentality, they're leaving. Yeah, fair enough. Um, finally, elsewhere, um, Man City got their revenge and spanked poor relegated Norwich, while Burnley had a, a late goal chalked off due to VAR in a close 2-1 loss to Brighton in a game with nothing riding on it. Um, next week, we'll be doing a full season review on the Premier League and how each team can feel about the season that was, then wasn't, then kind of was in 2019-20. Um, next up, though, and just to, I guess, to wrap up the final element of the season, which is um, more than a game, Fantasy Premier League. Uh, another thing that, that was and then wasn't and then was again was pretty much my season in Fantasy Premier League. Um, with the season wrapping up, though, we've also got a winner of uh, MTAG FPL, um, and that was Biggers, who uh, we had on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Biggers has absolutely stormed home in the past few weeks to take out the MTAG title with a really strong run home since the season has restarted. Congratulations, Biggers. Um, next season, I'm sure everyone's looking forward to Biggers having triple leads in, the, in his <laughs> FBL team, and uh, we're all looking forward to seeing I can't how wait that for goes. him to try and get as many leads players as he can in because that means that his fantasy team will be really shit. <laughs> <laughs> can he avoid the temptation? Them fighting words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Aaron Barker's Hokey Pokey claims second po- uh, second spot in the MTAG League after triple captaining triple captaining De Bruyne in the final week, oh. meaning he jumped about jumped up about half a dozen spots. Um, Dave Pitt can also feel a bit hard done by after being consistently out the top all season. He finishes in third. But look, what the listeners listeners all really want to know about is how the MTAG panel went. Here we go. Well, after a Jesus. Pl- <laughs> Like I said, after a pretty poor start to my Fantasy Premier League season, uh, yours truly has finished in seventh spot overall. Um, Jesse finished in 21st. Colby, who, according to the group chat, has mastered Fantasy Premier League in the last few months, um, finished in 33rd. Um, George in 47th after a pretty strong start. And Damo in 50. How many teams are in the league? I think there's 60-odd. Yeah, right. So but- I'm, I'm right down in the relegation zone. <laughs> Yeah, mate. How many transfers did you make uh, this year, Damo? Probably less than last year. <laughs> Tommy, um, you left, that's, that's you left, for you left Tierney and 11 points on your bench. How do you feel about that, mate? No, no, mate, I bench boosted. <laughs> you did too. I didn't see that. Fantastic. <laughs> there, it was, there was no points left on the bench this week. <laughs> Although um, I think... I think, I think it, I think it might have been Mitch uh, Mitch Metcalf, who I think he had something like 24 points on his bench, and I think he used his triple captain. So I think he actually would have been better off bench boosting than triple captain. Yeah. But um, look, congratulations to all the participants. Uh, we hope you can jump on board again next season for more FPL fun. Um, next up, A-League and Australian football. Both very familiar with one another's game. 200 Serie A games for Diamante. 54 Basher. Chest down. Burgess, what a goal again. Western United turning on the style. And Max Burgess, he couldn't score in the A League for a long, long time. Now he's got five in three. 
Oh, it's a terrific setup from Connor Payne. And he comes in late. Max Burgess is not picked up. And wow, he didn't ask any questions. He didn't think about this. He's just put his boot right through it. So the Festival of Football uh, has continued over the past week. Uh, it saw Sydney take out the Premier's plate after Wellington were unable to defeat Adelaide on Saturday afternoon. Sydney have been the dominant team this season, despite their recent loss to Newcastle on Tuesday night. Gents, does it feel a bit anticlimactic that Sydney have won the title within 10 days of the competition restarting? Yeah, but it was always going to be like that, and I think it was imminent, and yeah, and it could have even happened sooner, to be honest. Yeah, agreed, exactly. Like, they, they lost to... Well, they beat Wellington, but then they lost to Newcastle, so they could have they could have won it on, on Tuesday night. They, um, they've um, curbed the, really re- the competition, Tommy, really. I mean, you know, that's... It, it, it's, but the thing is about this, and, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the pod with finals versus the traditional point system. It's like, if this was just a traditional sprint to the finish, then Sydney's completely annihilated the league. But... You know, finals are finals. It's been like A League history. Acts. Finals are finals. Anything can happen. That's right. <laughs> um, for me, it's kind of been a little bit like, uh, I guess, the Premier League in the sense that, like, Liverpool were pretty much just a matter of time to wrap things up, and then when they did, it was like, I mean, for everyone else, there was a bit of a lack of tension, and obviously, Sydney and Liverpool fans, I think, will have lapped it up, and and will have loved it. But I think for everyone else, there was a bit of a sort of a lack of tension in the lead up, and it sort of felt like, yeah, I can't wait for football to be back, and then it was back, and then it was like, oh, it's over, <laughs> in some yep. ways. Um. Boys, do you think uh, Sydney can take their dominance into the final season or do you think we'll see maybe the same Sydney as what we saw on Tuesday night against Newcastle? I think Sydney still far and away are the best team in the league, even the games they've played so far. Um, but like Jesse said before, you know, finals are finals and, and especially in football, anything can happen in any game. And it's going to, I actually am more excited for the A-League finals this year than I have been recently for a long time because, you know, the A-League, the league kind of petered out a bit. You know, we spoke about Sydney inevitably we're going to win and this is kind of just a going through the motions to get the final six and then the, it really starts is how I feel. It's a good point. Like we've sort of talked recently about how sort of it feels like a brand new season, and in, and in that way, that sort of takes some of the shine, some of that sort of sense of invincibility off of off of Sydney, and I think it really helped some of the other teams. It means they they I've talked to use this phrase when it comes to Norwich or promoted teams, but there'll be less teams with recent memories of bloody noses from playing Sydney. So I think that that bodes well for a really exciting final mm. series. Um, elsewhere, Western United and Victory renewed hostilities as the first Victorian uh, teams to play since the A-League restarted. Western United led through goals from Tomislav Uskok and a gorgeous goal from Max Burgess gave uh, the Woo the points after a real mixed bag from the Vuck, who are without Robbie Cruz. Um, his season looks to be over after sustaining an injury during the week. Boys, um, Max Burgess was getting absolutely gassed all game here by Fox commentators and subsequently from Soccer Twitter as well. Do you think it was justified? Uh, well, Tommy, um, you'll probably... If you took one look at the uh, the Woo Twitter account, I'm pretty sure they described it as Burgelicious. Um, <laughs> you know, you know. Do you, think, do you think when a person scores one screamer of a goal, you can just go around throwing that kind of stuff out? I mean, Burgelicious. I mean, it's, it's like somebody was just waiting there with the finger on the enter button on his computer just waiting to just... I can fire that off as quick as I could. Um, to be fair, but, uh, to be fair to Max one, yeah. Burgess, before the you know the 
necessary COVID break of the A-League, he'd scored four goals in two games. Let's not forget that mm. he's now got five goals in his last three games. Can we, can we talk about the assist, though? I mean, it was probably the only good case of chest pain in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and the only good I'm thing Connor up, Payne's done all season. <laughs> Connor Payne's chest was sensational for the assist. Um, and uh, I will say that we know... That's the kind of touch you... That's the kind of touch you would normally expect from sort of like Yarn Collar or something like that. <laughs> or Giroud. <laughs> Tommy, could we... Yeah, could, exactly. Could we call this one the quarantine derby, considering that they were staying in the same um, accommodation or something? I think they saw each other in the hall, um, these two teams, when they were yeah, quarantined. Well, the A-League will do anything well, create, to create a derby, so... <laughs> I was going to say, Tommy, um, out of the blue, the Woo were left to Roo, a looping header after some lax defending at the near post. <laughs> oh dear I'm just going to let that one go straight through to the keeper um, Speaking of keepers uh, Victory keeper Lawrence Thomas He didn't play in this one But it looks like he's going to be heading off to Europe um, It's not really clear which club he's going to be playing for There's some rumor that he might be going to Denmark There's some rumor that he might be going to Belgium To link up with um, with Kevin Musket again um, do, you, do you think this is good? Like uh, are you sad to see him uh, leave the A-League? Are you glad that he's going to sort of have a crack at Europe? Or... I, look, I'm... He still feel like he's a young, well, he young goalkeeper, he's... but he's the same age as Matty, yeah, Matty Ryan. No, he's 28 years old. And, and to be honest, goalkeepers really don't flourish until their late 20s, early 30s, and they can play until their late 30s. So, you know, depending yeah. on their reflexes and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really excited to see Lawrence Thomas move on to bigger and better things. And I hope for his sake, that it, it's not a money move to the J-League or the K-League or something like that because I, I honestly believe that that third spot in the Socceroos side that, you know, is probably Vukovic's right now um, and he's in his back end of his 30s, that spot is mm. up for grabs in the next couple of years. And, you know, everyone thought it was going to be Birgitte who's now come home and hasn't really done much and... Lawrence Thomas moving to Europe, uh, whether it's under Muskie or somewhere else, is it's a platform for him to play more games and play at a higher level and and really push for that last spot. And I think that's probably his ambition. Yeah, I, I'm, to be honest, I'm I'm really excited to see how he goes because I think he's he he's sort of been in sort of that mid tier of Australian goalkeepers where he's good good at A League level and uh, shown to be one of the best uh, goalkeepers I guess over the last probably five years in the A League. But um, you really need to to go to Europe and I guess test yourself at that next level and get exposed to better players, better league, better coaching, um, and to be able to to really say that you, like like you say that you're in that real sort of top tier of Australian goalkeepers so um, look from from all reports he's a he's a lovely guy and um, I guess we wish him all the best and hopefully he can kick on with his career um, was a, this was going to be my next question but we we sort of skipped one um, which was uh, this was Grant Bredner's first run out as a victory coach um, do you think he would have been disappointed with what he saw I think he got exactly what he wanted from that game I think victory and exactly what he said before the game is that he doesn't want the full-time job. He's he's not out there to try and be the full-time manager of Melbourne Victory. He's got a role to play at the back end of this season, and that role is to get players that are playing for contracts time to expose themselves, young players who want to make a break time to, you know, have their opportunity, and 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 an opportunity to try a few different things with a few different players. And I think Victory did that 
and did it to good effect at times during the game. And that's really all you can expect from a team in their situation where all their best players have lost or injured and the season's kind of written off and that's all you can do. Um, and that's, that's, that's the nature of being at the bottom of the A-League is that you're able to have the luxury of doing that kind of stuff with no relegation. Yeah, and you mentioned that Grant Bebner doesn't sound like he really wants the job, but um, Victory had been linked with uh, Traon Ostellis um, during the week. The, uh, and at first I sort of thought, oh, hang on, I know this name. Where do I know this name from? And, and during research for the pod, I went, oh, hang on, that's the guy that, that scored for Greece in the, the Euro finals a couple of years ago. So he's obviously a big name. A couple name. of years ago. I think he's a good... Ap- <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Do you, do you think that's a good appointment or, or is it just pandering to, to South Melbourne Mike and, and uh, the Greek community in Melbourne? To be honest, I know nothing about his ability as a manager. So I, I would have to do some research into his resume and his background. But Melbourne Victory seem to pull managers from obscurity in Europe and, and they do well in, in Australia. So... Uh, well, I guess time will tell. On the result, though, on the result, though, Tommy, just like go, if you really just pick the result to pieces, I mean, really, it was a couple of fantastic goals. I mean, you must you must walk off mm. the park sometimes as a manager and be like, well, we had this game plan and we lost two one, and both those goals were absolute screamers. So you know, do you really leave the field gutted, or do you just sort of just cop it on the chin? Yeah, and, and look, for as much tripe that Mark Bosnich speaks on Fox Sports, um, I did really agree <laughs> with something that he said after the game that was, it, it was 2-0, but Western United didn't run away with it. Melbourne Victory were in the game the whole time, which is saying something that, you know, they got that goal to make it 2-1 and it felt like the game was on a knife's edge. Mm. It, it could have easily gone to 2-2 or 3-1. It was one of those games that Victory were in it the whole time despite not really ever looking like winning it, but they were in the game. They were making it hard for, for the Woo. Fair enough. And I guess that's a bit of an achievement in itself considering how um, uh, the Bucks season's gone uh, so far. Um, the F3 derby was the other derby that was played this week, um, but the nil-all scoreline was personified by the sauce bottles at Gosset Stadium. <laughs> a bit flat. After the Newcastle fan managed to get down and attack the inflatable master food sauce bottles with some tongs, um, there was a police report of all things that was circulating on social media about it did. this one. It's, it's, it's this just one. like so A-League areas for the inflatable sauce bottles to be attacked with a pair of barbecue tongs at a derby. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite part was the intricate detail in which it was explained how someone would stab an inflatable you know master what? food sauce Lads, bottle with some tongs. We could tongs. do without this kind of hate in 2020. You know, we're trying to stamp this kind of this kind of hate out of society. You know, you can't just have somebody going and stabbing bloody, you know, barbecue bottles. It's the brown um, sauce of all sauce. <laughs> I know, exactly. I mean, you know, of all of all sauce bottles. But I was going to say, um, the uh, what really summed this game up is if you went to the A League highlights on the website, um, I think about fifty percent of the, did it just error? Fifty percent of the highlights was just substitutions, <laughs> substitutions, and then and just, a, a video oh, of the um, sauce bottle deflating itself. <laughs> yeah. I just sort of thought, well, what's what, what's this guy going to do? You you just you've just played the substitution for about thirty seconds. Is this guy going to do anything? It's like it's a zero zero draw. Yeah, look, I, I was going to say that the big highlight for this match was uh, Alou Kual's uh, debut for Central Coast. Uh, he's a central, uh, sorry, the Sudanese refugee who came to Australia as a four year old via Egypt. Um, 
his uh his shout out to friends, family, and fans back in Shepparton caught the attention of, of soccer Twitter and fans um throughout Australia, and his emergence has been one of the few sort of bright sparks of the Mariners well, in an otherwise just, poor just season. Just on um Kowal, Tommy, he's you know he he was asked mm. by Robbie Slater to tell a bit of his story, and and obviously he didn't tell much of the story that Robbie Slater wanted, but he he told the story about how he got picked up at an A League club. He actually came from. An MPL two side, Goulburn Valley Suns, who play out of the Shepparton area, and he he scored twenty two goals mm. in their season in the first season he'd ever played in the first team for the club. So it's it's pretty impressive that it's the first season, first full season he'd played of senior football. He scored twenty two goals, and an A league A league club came knocking on his door and said, "Hey, do you want to come and train with us?" Yeah, and I, I guess um. It's good that the A League clubs are looking looking seriously at, at even not necessarily that top tier of of semi pro, but even at like sort of that next tier in NPL too, because like there are some fantastic players um, cruising around at that level. And for for a guy who's playing who's living out of Shepparton, right? Like he's that's that's a good probably. 90 minutes at least drive to probably the next closest NPL club, which I imagine Geelong, there's, there's one in Geelong, isn't there? Like brought. Uh, no, Shepparton's further north than that, so it'd probably be like, um, like Seymour or like Hume or, or something like that. So it's it's not just sort of like a, a quick trip down the road. Like it, it's probably too far to be commuting, um, to be playing semi pro football. So um, he probably doesn't really have another realistic option other than um, Golden Valley. This is Suns. a segue so, into transport um, chat. Like you say, Tommy. It's- we're going, to, we're going to talk about the state of the highway. Yeah, did he, the there, did he get the train t- into the city or did he drive? And which highway did he take? <laughs> well, he actually catches the... Toll uh, roads? No, Any toll roads in there? No. <laughs> You'd be pleased to know there are no toll roads on the way to Shepparton. Um, <laughs> look, um, whilst Newcastle couldn't knock off the Mariners, they did manage to take all three points from not yet premiers at that time, Sydney, um, midweek. Um, Costas, um, Costas Patratos's late winner was the difference for Newcastle and a massive result for them. Boys, uh, also Perth uh, hosted Wellington Bizarrely in Gosford on Wednesday night. Um, Jesse, this could have been a real banana peel for the Nucks, couldn't it? Could have been. Um, so I, I think the the key the key thing with um, the Knicks uh, since the restart has been, I guess he's 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 rejected a few of the tactics as far as who he brings on and off. Um, so there were a couple. There are a mm. couple of games this week. Um, so you had the the Perth game and the Adelaide game. Which ones did you want to cover first, mate? Well, there's like Wellington played three games. Yeah, this week, it, didn't was, they? it was pretty stacked. I mean, we the month the ones since the last pod, I think, was um, the Perth game and the Adelaide game. So both of those were uh, in recent memory. Um, the Perth one was early in the week, I think. Um, it was a good win for the for the for the Knicks that game. Um, Hooper and Davila scoring um hooper's goal was particularly pleasing because it was um much akin to our um sunday league team last year um tommy it's just uh someone making <laughs> a fantastic run uh, that some someone usually been me and um someone having the vision to pick the pass which was usually you tommy so um it was just the long ball hooper um absolutely bullied the defender and, and scored and then davila got a pen so um perth really looked like and especially in the second half, that they were going to storm home and at least get a draw. 
and so the Knicks did very well to actually emerge from this without um, losing the game. Um, Fornaroli had a couple of chances and couldn't finish. So McCowett was the real standout in this game. He's 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 been really hyped, uh, not just on the side of the Tasman, but uh, in New Zealand they've really hyped him. I had a friend come over at Christmas and he was he was singing his praises. Um, he's another Knicks fan, and um, I haven't really seen much from him um, in recent times. Before I guess the last few weeks, where I've really seen what the hype's about, but now you're starting to see how good he is and, and, and tight he is. And what I really find impressive about him is it's all well and good to be technical and have that kind of Adam Lallana sort of get out of a tight space kind of style, but he's got speed. And that's what makes him an exciting play to watch because he'll, he'll turn and go and then all of a sudden he's joining them on the counter-attack. So he was the key. He, he was the difference on the night um, for that Perth game. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about... Um... McCowett, like you said, Jesse, in the last few weeks. And it feels like he's had to bide his time a little bit um, in getting a getting a first-team shot. He's, he's 21 years old, and he's, I think, I'm not sure where he came from. I think he came from the Wellington Phoenix Academy in reserve side um, from um, the, the local, the National League, the ASB Premiership. Um, where he played for a couple of different clubs there since he was about 15 or 16. So he's been playing senior, like men's football, for many, many years, and he's really just got his break now. And I think the fact that he's played so much senior football has really shown that he's kind of he just slotted in and, and he, he knows the game so well and the cues of the game. Often younger players take a long time to adapt to that level. He, he he's He's done his adaptation to that. He's been playing senior football for six years now and that shows yeah. more physical too and and jesse in in wellington's other game yeah so they they, they literally what felt like the next day well i think it was a couple of days later but they played adelaide <laughs> that's how quick quick these fixtures are coming around um yeah so uh actually it ended up being a draw but um wellington had a chance to score a late penalty um which was saved um davila this penalty was saved by is it, is it Izzo? Yeah, Paul Izzo. Uh, basically, Paul Izzo. Yeah, so um, that saved the point. And it was a pretty poor penalty, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was pretty. It was a pretty uh, easy save. But in, in saying that, that actually handed Sydney the premier premier's mm. plate. <laughs> so um, they'll be pretty happy with that. Um, mm. They probably were watching that, thinking, "Oh God, here we go. We've got to wait a bit longer." But um, yeah, the save actually confirmed Sydney. So, um, you know. It got away on Wellington, but I think now with the the, the, the first place so far gone, I, I honestly reckon that there's a bit of a plan going on here from a Knicks perspective. You've got um, Davila on the bench for the last two or three games. And for me, I, I, the start of the season, that would have been a bit of a shock for me because I would have been like, he's definitely a, a starter mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. single game. But there's there's something brewing here because you, as you say, Damo, he's, he started young McCowett. Um, in quite a few of these games, he's he's playing around with the formations and 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 who starts and who doesn't, and that could be um, he could just be casually um, warming up for the finals and thinking, what do I do if uh, if Davila's not performing? What can I? What's my plan B? Yeah, well, well, the exciting. Knicks have got probably more wealth in attack than I would say any other team in the league at the moment. They've got Ball, Hooper, and Davila as three players that could lead the line themselves. They could all play in a front two. They could play as a front three if you really wanted them to. So there's so many options for Wellington moving into the finals. And I think, like you said, Jesse, Talley's just trying a few different things in the lead up to the finals in terms of 
what might work and what he might be able to go to if something doesn't work. Agreed. Mm. And Jens, um, we mentioned already that, that Wellington have already got a they've already had a couple of games since since the restart. Um, but the Victorian teams, uh, only two of them have played, and that was only on Saturday night. So um, with all three Victorian teams in action this coming week on Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, do you think they could struggle against some of the teams that in some cases have got three games under their belt? I think definitely. I think the pace of the Western United versus Victory game was of very different to the, to the other games that we've seen, particularly from the likes of... Sydney and Wellington and Perth, who I think have all played three games now and they've all kind of got up to speed a little mm. bit. Um, so I, particularly Melbourne City, I think, will be coming into their last few fixtures a bit underdone compared to the rest of the clubs. Just a quick word, Tommy, on on Adelaide because it was very easy for me to get carried away on the next cloud there. But um, Adelaide, um, I was going to say, this, <laughs> this will probably be close to home for you, but... Are we ready to say that Christian Obseth is the A-League Suchik uh, with these diving hitters that he's providing? I think he scored two this week, which are both just <laughs> cracking hitters. Um, and it's a clear tactic from Adelaide to square it to him and just be like, he's going to get a hit on that, which is much akin to your club, Tommy, and uh, big Suchik up front. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, mate. Um, did you guys see that meme? Uh, I think it might have been this week or maybe even last week of... Um, the saying that this was this is Suchek as soon as a cross comes into the box and it was basically just like a guy just <laughs> launching himself like a plank through a wall. At, at the wall yeah. and he goes yeah, through the wall very yeah. accurate but, I mean, but, but fantastic but use your <laughs> use the strength like I mean this is the thing like okay you can sort of say is it a good thing or a bad thing it's like you know football has moved to fullbacks that cross low and tappins I mean Sydney has just been epitomised the, the the square pass all year but what about mm. the fact that if you've got a person who's an absolute weapon in the air, use him. And he scored two goals this week, which good teams couldn't defend. And in the moment, they, they couldn't get to him and they couldn't um, keep him out of the game. So at the end of the day, that could be the difference when it comes to the finals. It might not be pretty football, but it, it's effective. Yeah, and I, and I think we've spoken about it so many times and we will again, is that the A-League football is on its day anyone can win and particularly the A-League anyone can win on its day so that's what makes for me this final mm. series this year is so exciting here here uh, next up we're going to wrap up the, the final round of the championship um, and as well just uh, unpack the, the playoff uh, the playoffs come on Red, and there's nothing on it for you just give us a go <laughs> pick that one up good, good. oh I just couldn't get it through Roberts, Brewster, well, we'd like him in the middle, but at least Swansea have the ball. Gallagher lifts Come. it in, it's there! In! It's there! They've scored! Wow! It is the, into it, the first minute of added time, and Swansea City have scored the goal. That sounds like it's enough. And it's enough. Swansea City have done it, and look at the reaction. They are in the playoffs. Last but not least, uh, Thursday night saw the completion of the final round of the English Second Division, aka the Football League Championship. To say that it was wild would be an understatement, with major implications at both ends of the table. Uh, in terms of the playoff positions, Nottingham Forest were in the driver's seat heading into the final round uh, in sixth position, with a goal difference of plus six and a three-point gap between them and seventh place Swansea. Already safe Stoke scored first uh, against Forest, but Forest equalised in the 61st minute. 
Now, what ensues is one of the finest bottle jobs I've ever heard of. As Forrest concede three goals, including a final goal in the 96th minute, uh, while Swansea score three goals in the final 25 minutes to cut down the tricky trees and ensure a playoff position on goal difference. Elsewhere, West Brom and, uh, and Brentford also did their best not to secure an auto- automatic promotion spot. Uh, Brentford ultimately losing on uh, sorry to losing to relegation threatened Barnsley, and West Brom drawing to QPR. At the other end of the table, Wigan were unable to outrace their points deduction and secure another season in the championship, despite only Tommy, losing. Tommy, Tommy, just to interrupt. This is almost my own goal this week about Wigan. Um, who obviously we know they went yeah. into administration about a month or so ago and that's an automatic 12-point deduction. Yep. They've been waiting on the ruling mm. for now, I think, five weeks on whether or not this points deduction would come this season or at the beginning of next season. And the club found out on yeah, right. the morning of the final day that their 12-point deduction was going to be ineffective this season, which meant they were relegated regardless of their result on the final day. So, like, That's harsh, how, isn't it? how so, do you so get harsh. yourself up for a game like that as a player when you've gone, okay, well, everything's going fine, we're mid-table, and we've just got to really get stuck in for next season when we're going to start off 12 points behind and then get told, sorry, you're going down regardless today. Brutal. That's so, so harsh. Yep. Um, Hull and Charlton also went down after fading badly in the restart. Bizarrely, the five teams occupying the final five spots on the table at the restart all managed to stay up. That's a great escape. So wild, I'm expecting Steve McQueen to rock up on a motorbike. (laughs) (laughs) So with um, Brentford, Fulham, uh, Swansea and Cardiff all through to the playoffs, uh, I thought we'd do a quick preview on what to expect and uh, and then we'll quickly touch upon last night's first playoff semi-final between Brentford and Swansea. Jesse, um, what can we expect from from Swansea? And do you think they're going to get promoted? Well, Swansea's part of that group. You know, you're at a party, and there are the people that you sort of said, "Oh, you can come, but I'm not really sure. I want you back." And Swansea, West Brom, I guess Fulham falls into this category. Cardiff certainly does. It's like, oh, you're back. I suppose you paid for the ticket. Mate, what have you got against the Welsh? Oh, it's just. There's just some of these clubs which you just sort of like, I wouldn't mind seeing a forest. I wouldn't mind seeing a Millwall or somebody come up and, and shake it up a bit. But unfortunately, we've got to deal with West Brom coming up. Um, yeah, so when I looked at Swansea, they also fall into that category because, you know, I haven't seen Swansea play for a couple of years because I don't follow the championship that closely. But when I looked at them recently, you've got Andre Ayew leading the line. And I'm pretty sure the last time that Swansea was in the Premier League, Andre Ayew was leading the line. <laughs> so, like, it's like time is frozen well, in Wales. It's like time has just stopped. They love him so much that they signed him twice. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So, he, he, he um, by far and away, he scored 18 goals for the season. So, he's the top scorer. Um, Brewster, Ooh. obviously on loan from Liverpool, came in um, in January. Um, with Connor Gallagher, I think he's from um, Chelsea, um, also arrived in January. Mm-hmm. And they've had a really big impact on, the, on, on Swansea. So they've actually, um, to put it in MTAG terms, come home with a really wet sail. Um, and um, that's, that's actually proved pretty important to them because I know that Forrest obviously did their best to throw it at the end there. But um, Swansea found form at a time that was critical to find form. And overnight, um, and I suppose we'll get to this, they managed to, to win the first leg uh, over over Brentford. 
um, which is uh, with a great goal, by the way, if you haven't seen it, the Andre Ayew goal was a peach. Um, so I, I think to answer your question, Tommy, um, one of the key things I noticed about the Brewster and Gallagher signings is that Steve Cooper had actually coached them at youth level for England. Mm. And that's actually... Mm-hmm. Um, that was a significant influence on them making the decision to go to Swansea. Tell you what, and if he's, Swansea managed to get into mm-hmm. the, uh, just to interrupt, we're talking about Swansea's manager. He's got the rudest head I've seen of a manager in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue with that. I can't argue. So with there that. you go. Damo reckons they're not getting promoted. I tell you what, though, I, I, just to close that off, if he does, if if they do manage to go up. Um, you would have to say it'd be pretty savvy business to bring those guys in on loan. Somebody, players that have already got a bit of an existing relationship um, who could slot into a system on the run and Brewster scoring 10 goals since January. I mean, that's surely, that's been pretty critical for them to actually get into the position that they're in. So that's a a really good bit of business. And my verdict with Swansea, uh, as far as whether or not they go up or not, um, I think they can do it, but I think it's going to come down to a bit of luck and probably some individual brilliance, not necessarily the team out playing another team. So you saw that overnight, Ayu uh, just scoring an absolute screamer. It's If they're going to go up, it's going to be more down to that, in my opinion, than actually a, a great team performance. Fair enough. Damo, what about Brentford? Yeah, look, Brent, Brentford, like a little bit... You were talking, Jesse, before about these clubs that come up and you're a bit sick of them and they're of that mold that you don't really want to see them again in the Premier League. Brentford are one of the clubs that everyone does want to see in the Premier League. It's one of those like feel-good stories and they've got a like really unique... Save the bees. Really unique story over the last um, (laughs) probably eight to ten years in particular. Um, They got bailed out of going into liquidation in 2012 by a professional gambler turned bookmaker turned gambling conglomerate um, who put about 500,000 pounds into the club to keep them alive. And now he is the sole owner of the club. Um, And he also owns FC Michelin, who we spoke about last week and where Awamabil plays. Um, And he's, he's adopted a very analytical money ball style type of football, which Brentford have played. And um, one of the main things that they've done at the club is they completely got rid of the whole academy system. So um, I don't know if you guys knew this. So Brentford do not have a junior academy and they do not have a, a proper reserve side. All they have is the first team and what they call the Brentford B team. And the Brentford B team is is essentially a group of Good 16 on. to 20-year-olds that play... They don't play in any organized league. They just play a season worth of friendlies and they, and they try and play them against lower league first team and European first teams of lower league clubs and the under-23s and under-21s of, you know, the big Premier League clubs. So it's a really unique way of trying to develop talent, which is very different from the rest of the country and which Matthew Denham, the owner, says saves them hundreds of millions of pounds a year on not having an academy, but they still produce more first-team players than most academies. Damon, what do they do on the actual day when they announce themselves as the Brentford Bees? Bees. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be a bit of conflation there. I mean, how do you differentiate between the Bees and the Bees? Yeah, I don't suspect? know. <laughs> I really don't know. That's a question I can't answer. Um, but in terms of the way they play football, it's... 
again, like they've got the director of football is is Danish and the assistant director of football is Danish. The head coach or the manager of the first team is Danish. One of his assistants is Danish and they've got seven Danish players in um, in the first team. So there's a real uh, Danish vibe to, to Brentford and obviously the owner owns a Danish club. So uh, Micheland has become somewhat of a feeder club for uh, Brentford, uh, which bodes well for. Are you saying? Are you saying that? Are you saying that Brentford's like a Trojan horse <laughs> in English football? <laughs> <laughs> They're really invading the Danish. The Danish are invading England through football. <laughs> um, Somebody called them Brent Fjord the other day, and I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it sort of stuck it's with very me. good. I did see that. <laughs> that is very um, good. And, and uh, Damo, what, what about their chances de- like, for the playoffs, mate? We all know that they bottled it. They they should have gone up as, as one of the two automatic spots. They lost their last two games of the season, which, hmm. um, depressingly enough, they're moving to a brand new stadium next season. And the very last game at Griffin Park, which has been their home for 120-something years, um, they lost to second place Barnsley when all they needed to do was get a draw on the final day to to get promotion to the Premier League. Um, and there was no fans there. But I do think they'll get it done through uh, the playoffs. Obviously, if you look at their squad, they've got no real standouts in terms of superstars. If you read through their squad, you probably wouldn't recognize any of the names apart from maybe Ollie Watkins, who's their biggest name, which, you know many people would look at his name and go, who's that anyway? So, um, but, but him and both him and, uh, Ben Rama have just pretty much lit the league a lot this season. though, haven't they? Yeah, they very much have. And last night as well in the game against Swansea, uh, Ben Rama was an absolute star. There was points to that game. He looked an absolute class above that. Mm. If Brentford don't go up, they're really going to struggle to keep him. I should have mentioned earlier, with the red card as well. I mean, that's, yeah. that's something that was critical. There was a huge turning point in the yeah, game because I, I feel Brentford were in control. Not in control. I wouldn't say in control, but Brentford were, were looking quite comfortable and it looked like they were just going to, to Wales to do a job, get a draw away from home and go home for the second leg and it's all sorted. Um, but that red card really put a spanner in the works and, and Swansea really threw everything at them in that last 20, 25 minutes and, and obviously got that goal right at the end. Yeah, I agree. I think up until the red card, I think um, Brentford like were by far the better team. But then after the red card, I think Swansea deserved um, a, a goal after that. Still not sure that um, all three points or or the the advantage going into the second leg is is completely deserved by Swansea. But ultimately, they're, they're the ones that put the the ball on the back of the net, um, which uh, Brentford couldn't do. Um, the other playoff semi involves Cardiff and Fulham, two relegated sides from uh, from last year's Premier League season. Uh, so Cardiff, they had seven players that scored five or more goals this season, but none of their players hmm. curiously scored more than 10. Um, they've got the worst defensive record in the top nine teams in the championship. So it's a real sort of mixed bag here. Um, Lee Tomlin, who I've got to admit is a player I've never heard of, he leads the scoring and assist charts for Cardiff with eight goals and 10 assists. Um, they've also had really mixed form since the, the restart, um, but they've won three of their last five. Um, but curiously, one of those losses came against Fulham. 
Uh, Cardiff's talisman this season has been uh, Sean Morrison, their captain, who, according to who scored, has their best overall rating for the season, including four goals and two assists. Uh, manager is young English manager, Millwall legend Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, a surprising pick by Cardiff due to, his, due to his inexperience and lack of real success to, to date at this level. Um, Cardiff, the, the Welsh side, they play uh, Fulham, who everyone will remember for absolutely that honking 18-19 uh, season in the Premier League. Um, they remain hugely reliant upon Mitrovic, who's led the line with 26 goals. Um, next most was Tom Candy with eight. So, um, yeah, it gives you a bit of an idea of what they're trying to do and how they're trying to play, which is basically get the ball up to the big man and hope that he can put it all into the back of the net for them. Um, Fulham have got a marginally better attacking record than Cardiff, scoring four or less goals, but they also conceded 10 less. Um, Scotty Parker's done a really solid job uh, in steadying the ship there after that horrific season um, in the Premier League and giving them a real chance to return to the Premier League. Um, look, I've got to say, pretty much down to the, that last result and the form heading into this one, I reckon Fulham are going to get, uh, do the business and I reckon they're going to play Brentford in the final. But For, for me, I, I feel like whoever wins the tie between Brentford and Swansea are winning the playoff final. I just I feel like I, I watch a bit of the championship and I'm, I I like the championship and I've watched a few games at the back end of the season um, since the return and um, Swansea probably have been the form side going into the playoffs. Um, they've jumped themselves from mm. like eleventh up to sixth since the turn um, since the return of COVID. Um, and then Brentford, we all know about how well in the football they've been playing, um, despite their recent final two results. I just feel like whoever wins out of those two, um, I can't go past them for winning the playoff final, which I think is on the first week of August. And that game is arguably my favorite fixture in the football calendar is the play the championship playoff final. It's it's wild, isn't it? Um, I tell you what, if if Swansea do end up making it to to the Premier League um, and winning that playoff final, Forest are yeah. gonna hate themselves even more. And oh, geez, you'd you'd hate to hate to be a Forest fan, I reckon. Um, Jesse, what about you, mate? Who, who's your pick for for getting promoted? Yeah, I have to agree with with Damo there. I think um, momentum is everything at this point. Um, in saying that, mm. I think. Uh, if you narrow it down to Brentford and Swansea, I think Brentford have got a real job on their hands to overturn that. Um, I know it's only a one goal uh, loss, but any any advantage in a um, two-legged tie um, at this stage of the season, especially if Swansea are, are finding form at the right time, it's a, it's it, we'll really see what Brentford's made of uh, if they can overturn that. It's going to be a really season-defining game that return to yeah, to exactly. The you know usually the fans would be a huge part in this game, but I think Brentford have got the motivation of no matter what, this is going to be the very last competitive game played at Griffin Park, which is so. If if mm. if you if you need a narrative, Jesse, you love that word, um, then you've got one right there. <laughs> Brentford are motivated by nothing else than we need to send off Griffin Park the the right way. Well, there you have it. 
Well, that pretty much wraps wraps things up for for this week. Um, thanks for joining us, listeners. It's been great having you with us. Um, you can catch all of our Simpsons shit posts, uh, amateur memes, and football related contact throughout content throughout the week at MTag Podcast on Twitter and More Than a Game Podcast on Facebook. You can also email us at mtagpodcast at gmail if you want to send us some private correspondence. Um, finally, don't forget to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're at it, we'd also really appreciate it if you left a review. Um, next week, we'll be covering more A-League, of course, and we'll also be doing a bumper Premier League season review episode. So look out for that. Until then, enjoy the football. See you.